Well, hello, doctors, and welcome. We are live uh, with Dr. Jonathan Berkowitz. Thank you, Dr. Berkowitz, for being here. This is, uh, as always, the Sean Steele Law Firm podcast uh, being, uh, being recorded live in front of a real Zoom audience. Uh, Sean Steele, uh, as always, right behind me, uh, and uh, say hello. Basically, I got uh, Alex's back. <laughs> and we're talking a lot about backs because that's what chiropractors do all day long, backs, joints, all kinds of muscular skeletal problems. But today is something really special. We have a gifted orthopedist whose office is everywhere in Southern California, who's, uh, who's young and, and ambitious and likes chiropractors. I mean, that's a rare combination. Um, Alex and, uh, and Dr. Berkowitz have been working professionally in some of our larger cases, I think it's important that we get to meet pro-chiropractic MDs on a regular basis, know who they are, what they're thinking, and what chiropractors can do to, uh, A, to avoid surgery. That's uh, good surgeons really want to avoid surgery. It's, it's really a last alternative. And B, what are the protocols for getting one of your patients in front of a medical doctor? What, what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? So these, but, but the, well, we're trying to do something special today. Please ask us questions. And how do they do that? How do they do that? At the bottom of their screen, there is a Q&A button. And if they click it, they can, uh, they can ask a question straight of us. And then we can, uh, we can get it, try to get it answered live on the air here. And if it's a really good question, I'll send you a Starbucks card. So you just can't go wrong. You can tell I've already had my Starbucks. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to leave Alex in charge. If he's doing a suboptimal job, uh, just contact me offline, Sean Steele at SeanSteele.com. We'll have a private discussion. Doctor, good seeing you. That's S-E-A-N. Okay. <laughs> well, doctor, uh, thank you for being with us. I appreciate you doing this for us. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course. So uh, just, to, just to get a little lay of the land. So you, you're an orthopedic surgeon, but not all orthopedic surgeons are created equal. Um, what what is your specialty within the subcategory of orthopedics? So I am a sports orthopedic surgeon with special training in arthroscopy and minimally invasive surgery. Um, basically, orthopedic surgeons, especially in the chiropractic world and personal injury world, are divided into spine surgeons and then everything else. I'm on the everything else side, so I don't do spine surgery. Um, but like any practitioner, especially if you're doing a lot of general orthopedics, we're definitely seeing a lot of back problems and we're taking care of spine patients, um, similar to the chiropractic doctors who are watching here. Um, now for surgery, my specialty is shoulders, knees, hips, basically what we call extremities. So anything other than the spine, um, we work with a lot of chiropractors. We see um, some very good ones all the time that um, are nice enough to send us patients and um, take excellent care of the patients when we end up sending them back. So um, it's nice to you know, get a chance to speak directly with you guys, and hopefully we have a chance to answer some questions. As we, as we sort of get into that, what, walk us through how the, the process works in terms of um, patients that you're referred from chiropractors vis-a-vis uh, -vis auto accidents. I mean, we're, we're sort of within the world of PI. How, how does that normally work? I mean, what, in what condition are you often referred uh, patients and what, in what condition do you like to get them? Uh, what are the risks? I mean, I'm asking you a million questions at once, but sort of walk us through sort of the, the 30,000 foot, uh, how that works, and then we can drill down. Sure. You know, there's the, um, the science experiment way that we would like 
every patient to come in having already been worked up with MRIs, having already done physical therapy, and they have an MRI that shows a surgical lesion and they're there for a surgical consult. In the real world, it doesn't always happen like that, but that is, you know, the ideal way to do it. And a lot of the chiropractors that, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to work with will do that. So you guys um, see the patients, do the initial evaluation, do comprehensive exams. And the best thing that you guys do for us is that you document everything. So if there's pain and the exam shows a positive finding, that's documented in your note, which does help us out a lot later when it's, you know, when we have to justify the surgery or we're in, in deposition. So that's very good. Um, sometimes that's not always possible. And sometimes we get, you know, we get patients who Cairo has seen only once or twice and they try to do physical therapy, but they're in too much pain and they're unable to push them through that. Or, or, you know, last thing you want to do is make someone worse. So then we see a lot of people come on the earlier side as well. So ideally it's someone who's already had the therapy, still symptomatic MRI positive for something. Um, often that's not how it goes. And, um, you know, just one point that, um, I, I would love to make and, and maybe learn from the chiropractors too, for if you guys have any feedback is, um, just because there's an MRI that is negative, doesn't mean that there's not something that the orthopedic surgeon can do. A lot of patients think you're going to see a surgeon. That means you need surgery, but you know, between surgery and chiropractic physical therapy and things like that, there's a lot we can do. Um, and we've had very good success with PRP injections, we're, you know, we're dipping our, our feet into the stem cells. We're not doing too much stem cells now. That's a, still a little bit out there for us, but certain people are very, very comfortable with stem cells. But with the PRP, we have such good results with the shoulder, knee, hip, ankle, that we're able to avoid a lot of surgery. So if, you're, if your patients and your clients are concerned and they say, oh, I don't want to go see a surgeon, you can always say, this doesn't mean you need to have surgery, but you know, let's see if there's some invasive thing like an injection or things like that that can help because you've already had the physical therapy. And let's and let's talk about that a little bit because that's a that's a pretty common uh, trope, right? You know, if you, to to a to a hammer or to a, to a nail, every problem is a hammer. Every whatever, other way around. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I meant? To, to a surgeon, you know, you you sort of expect that if you're sending somebody to a surgeon or if somebody is going to a surgeon, that they expect that surgeon will then recommend some sort of cut. Uh, but you're saying that's not necessarily the case and, and, and that maybe that's not even a first order of, of you know, first order uh, solution to a lot of the problems you're seeing in PI. I mean, talk about that a little bit. That's definitely true. And I think the best way to dichotomize that is you have lesions that you see that need surgery relatively soon, and then lesions that you can try a lot of stuff first. So in the shoulder, what needs surgery? A full thickness rotator cuff tear. Anytime we see a full thickness rotator cuff tear in someone who's a surgical candidate and not over 75 years old, we like to go to surgery right away. And the reason why we do that is because if you don't address that full thickness tear soon, it will continue to become a bigger tear. It will retract and get scarred down. And when you try to fix it, if it's scarred down, it won't pull over back where we're trying to anchor it on, on the humerus. So, you know, one thing that is helpful, if, if you guys see any full thickness tears, please send them in, at least for a consultation. Doesn't mean that they're you know, necessarily going to get surgery, but that's something you do want to address earlier rather than later. Um, same thing in the knee, an ACL tear in someone under 55 years old, generally you need to fix. Um, where does it get gray? Um, what's the other side of this coin? A meniscus tear in, let's say, somebody over the age of 45. Um, often does need surgery and we don't, we don't, we don't wait too long to do it, but if the chiropractic treatment's not helping, the physical therapy is not helping, 
then you, you can do either surgery or injections. And so what do we use to kind of tell the difference between those two? Age, activity level, and how big the tear is. So if you have a complex tear in someone who's under 21, fix it right away. You can even not do too much PT ahead of time because you know you're going to end up fixing it. Um, the cutoff age for when a meniscus tear, you're going to want to not um, rush right to the operating rooms around 35, do physical therapy, try injections, because oftentimes they can get better with that. And the guys, let me know if I'm going into the weeds too much, and then I'll just you know kind of give you a little uh, you know 30,000 foot view. Um, in the shoulder, the most common thing that we see that doesn't necessarily need surgery right away, but can is subacromial impingement. And often you guys have already diagnosed the patient with the impingement based on their examination or on their MRI. So they come to see us and they say either we need surgery or we need something. And those people do so well with PRP injections, even better than the cortisone, that oftentimes our surgical volume goes down in any given period because those people we used to take to the operating room five, six years ago, now we're able to avoid it. Um, so that's the two main things in the shoulder. Labral tears, you know, depends on the age. If they're under 35, any labral tear should be fixed. Um, if they're over 35 and it's more of a degenerative type of labral tear, then we can treat it non-operatively pretty successfully. Um, that's most of what you'll see in the shoulder. Going back to the knee, ACL tears need to be fixed because if you don't, obviously the knee is very unstable. It, it's associated with the progression of osteoarthritis. Um, meniscus tears, like we discussed a little bit more gray. So what do you do if there's a shoulder or there's a knee, which is 90% of what I do and the MRI is negative. Does that mean that they never need surgery? And, and you know, that's, that's where it becomes a tough decision. Um, when it comes back and it's a grade one tear, a grade two tear, exactly. partial tears of the rotator cuff, you know, um, what do you do for those? So the answer is it's being an orthopedic surgeon is easy. There's, there's chiropractic slash PT, there's injections, there's surgery. It's just one of those three. Um, if it's a partial rotator cuff tear, not something you need to run to the operating room with, you try physical therapy, chiropractic treatments, you try injections. If all of that doesn't work, then if, you know, anywhere from three to six months later, they're still symptomatic, then it's reasonable to go in and fix it. Now, if it's a partial tear and you go in surgically, most of the time they don't need to be fixed. They just need to be debrided, which means that kind of, um, you know, imagine a, a tissue that has a bunch of little tears in it like that, but it's still attached to the bone. The only thing that would need to be fixed if it was it a full tear floating off the bone. So if it's like this, you can kind of sh shave down those little tears and smooth it down so that it doesn't catch, click and lock in the shoulder. And it usually doesn't cause them pain. 99% of the time they get a subacromial decompression as well. Generally, anytime you're in the shoulder, you do a subacromial decompression because it's quick and it's a possible pain generator. There's no reason to leave the um, impingement there and come back in two years and do it again. Um, so in, in terms of uh, non-surgical options, uh, I, I, Dr. Tao just asked about PRP injections. He's asking for the degenerative spine uh, in degenerative spine cases. And, and I want you to answer that too, if you can. Um, but, but just talk a little bit about PRP in general, because my experience with it, obviously, as a, as a non-doctor, but somebody who certainly is around this stuff a lot, is that it's, it's like borderline miraculous, right? We've got this, we've got this, this therapy that is non-steroidal, non-narcotic, wholly natural, unless you squirt it into somebody's eyeball, really low risk of, of, uh, of, of, of actually hurting them or, or negative outcomes or side effects. 
Um, and then you're getting these amazing uh, outcomes. Uh, and some of them are truly amazing. John in my office, who a lot of the docs on this call know, uh, he had tennis elbow, one, one PRP injection. And it was and it was gone. I mean, yeah. there are there are lots, of, and I'm and I'm hearing them in in, in trauma cases all the time that they're, that they're doing these PRP injections. A lot of extremity, but um, also I'm curious as to your thoughts on the spinal ones that that appear to just be just be amazing. I mean, what what has your experience been? So I'll take you through my my history because um, I like talking about myself. Um, you guys might not like it too much, but um, doctor, no way. So I have hip impingement in my own hip. Um, I'm a big baby and I don't want surgery. Um, so I, you know, I was at the doctor's like, well, why don't we try a PRP? And up until that point, I was the biggest PRP skeptic. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's a little new. The science isn't there yet. I don't want to say it's experimental, but we don't yet know enough about it. It's expensive. I don't, you know, I don't want to go through that and have it not work and, and blah, blah, blah. So I was in such pain and I didn't want to have the surgery. I had it done and it was, I had one injection and within a month, all of my pain was gone and I was almost back to normal. Now it did eventually wear off, but it worked great for a long time. So then I became a little bit less skeptical of it. I started do, using it in my clinical practice and, you know, I'm taking care of PI patients, but also PPO patients, degenerative type of stuff, no accidents involved, no trauma, and they were getting better. So I'm like, all right, so it works on these guys. Let me try my PI practice. And I mean, the, the results are, I don't want to say miraculous, but the results are incredible. And we tell patients, I can, I, I'm not going to guarantee you, but I, you have a very, very good chance, whatever your problem is. And it's, and it's sort of a solution for everything, a panacea almost. Do you have a tear? Do you have inflammation? Do you have degeneration? Basically, do you have pain? PRP is going to help with that. Now, why does it work? What we do is we take a little bit of blood from a peripheral vein we spin it down in a centrifuge, which goes about nine or, or 10,000 RPMs, which separates the blood based on its density. We get rid of the red blood cells. We don't want them. Most of the blood's actually yellow, called the plasma. That's why it's called platelet-rich plasma. And in the yellow, which is where the platelets are, we extract the platelets and we inject them back into the person at a high concentration. So you, you, know, you take, let's say, 10 cc's of blood and you concentrate those platelets that were in 10 cc's down to let's say five cc's. So it's a higher concentration. And there's all these different opinions and different signs showing what exactly you want the percentage of that solution to be platelets. Generally two to 6% of that should be platelets. And that's higher than the blood percentage. You inject that in and, you know, shoulder, knee, hip, ankle, any joint, any tendonitis, Achilles tendonitis. Um, tennis elbow, lateral epicondylitis, medial epicondylitis, anything like that. And it works great. Not to get in the weeds again, but there's, I'm sure you guys have heard of the difference between leukocyte rich and leukocyte poor PRP, but basically some systems formulate PRP with more white blood cells and some with less white blood cells and the white blood cells are responsible for an inflammatory reaction. So if you want to have more inflammation in the tissue to induce healing, then you can do that. And the only thing it will heal are tendonitis. So elbow, Achilles, any tendonitis that you want to 
inflict some inflammation in order to promote healing, you use leukocyte rich, right? More white blood cells, more inflammation, immune system gets involved, things like that. Um, leukocyte poor is what you want for, let's say, an arthritic situation or a situation where there's already a ton of inflammation inside that shoulder. They don't need more. You want the anti-inflammatory effects. So have it's- it, Have you used it at all in uh, like recurrent shoulder dislocation, that sort of thing? So one thing we, you know, we have to be careful about is it works so great that we start to say, hey, it works for everything. But what we tell people is if you have a tear, as much as we hoped it would, and we thought it did 10 years ago, it does not regrow the tear. It will not cause it to heal. It will cause it to stop bothering. Recurrent shoulder dislocation is a structural issue. It cannot help. It'll help the pain and inflammation that's associated with it, and they'll feel great. But recurrent dislocations, they're going to need surgery. One dislocation, just a lot of pain, go for it. Yeah. Um, only reason not to do it is if someone has a history of a, of a blood-borne cancer because, you know, there's a theoretical risk that's never been proven ever, but theoretical. You take some, you know, malignant cells from the blood and you put it in the shoulder and you can grow a tumor in there. Has that ever happened in, in life? No, but just one thing. Let's be extra careful and not do that. Sure. So that's really the only contraindication for it. So basically everyone can get it for almost every problem and it works very, very well. I think that's amazing. We, we certainly answered that question. And I, and I also want to open that up to the other docs on the call um, and thank the doctors, uh, uh, Dr. Contreras, Dr. Constantino, Dr. Del Rio. I, I can't name them all, but uh, thank them for, for coming. Uh, that's, that's, uh, it's fantastic. And if you have questions for Dr. Berkowitz, please go ahead and type them in as we're talking and I'll try to get some of them answered. Um, so, okay, so, so specifically in, in PI, uh, you, you have a report that comes in or a referral that comes in from a chiropractor. And, and I know that a lot of times we have maybe MRI negative is a strong term, but, but MRI that is showing, I don't know, disc herniation one to three millimeters somewhere in that range. Um, but you've got subjective complaints of pain. I mean, you've got somebody who's really in pain. Uh, and, and so then, or, or, and I know that's a spinal issue, but, but, uh, you know, an extremity situation that's similar, right? Some, so a mild, you know, a grade one tear or, or even, or even something that's completely negative, but you've got these subjective complaints of pain, maybe some loss of range of motion. What, what's, 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 what is your go-to and what are you like? Okay, let's, we start here and let's assume that they've already done four to six weeks of chiropractic. So are we talking about spine or outside the spine? Let's, let's stay within your wheelhouse. Let's go, let's go extremity. Okay. Um, even if there's a negative MRI, but they failed activity modification, they failed oral anti-inflammatories, which most people have by the time they see you. They failed chiropractic treatment for, let's say, six weeks. Yeah. MRI is negative. Exam is positive for certain physical findings to suggest, let's say, shoulder impingement, inflammation, bursitis, knee synovitis, which is basically just any inflammation in the knee. This is in the case where the MRI does not show a surgical lesion. So I still will do PRP on these people because clinically these diagnoses can be made even in the face of, of an MRI. So you use PRP as like a pre-surgical, less invasive option and in those cases? Not even pre-surgical because sometimes, if not most of the time, that's all they need. Well, right. No, I didn't, I didn't mean like in anticipation right. surgery, but like as a, as a less invasive yes. step one, if this fails, we could move to step two kind of thing. As you know, for orthopedic surgeons, injections are still conservative treatment and surgery is, is, you know, non-conservative treatment right. in the pain management world, you know, their injections are their surgery. So that's, 
what they consider not conservative treatment anymore. But the injections are still part of conservative treatment for us. And, you know, it's not going to create a problem when it comes time to settle the case or if the defense is looking for trouble to say, oh, you did injections, but there's a negative MRI because you can clearly say the guy has the clinical symptoms documented both by the, the chiropractic doctors and by me showing that this clinical diagnosis exists. PRP is very reasonable to do and it worked. Yeah. Um, uh, if I just can throw one thing yeah, in, sorry, after my, my, I forgot to explain how PRP actually works. So on the platelets that we've then isolated and injected into body parts, there's 15 different growth factors. And you guys might remember from school, PDGF, um, v, VGF, all these different um, endothelial growth factors that platelets use in their normal job of stopping a cut from bleeding. Um, so they're very bioactive. We don't know exactly which one does what. What we do know is that is an extremely strong anti-inflammatory. It will not heal anything, but the patients will get better. I mean, our, our numbers are 89 to 95% of the time, at least mild improvement. And we do a series of three injections. If they've responded well to the first, we keep going. If they've responded poorly to the first, we stop. And if they're completely better after the first, we stop too. That's awesome. And then you were saying at the beginning uh, that you are a... Uh, I, I believe this, the term you used was minimally invasive surgery specialist of some sort. Yes. Explain what that sounds. I mean, from, from, from a lawyer's perspective, that sounds like lawyer double speak for regular surgery, just it's in, marketing, in, in right? Pretty, it's pretty it's, package. But <laughs> what, what is minimally invasive surgery? I mean, we're still talking about people who are uh, under general anesthesia yeah. and, and having, having, are we talking laparoscopic? I mean, what's the latest in technology oh, exactly. that you're using? So we used to, you know, used to be sports surgeons and then sports surgery was a field for about 30 years. And then arthroscopy began in 1985 was like the first one done in California. Um, and then the sports field moved from an open surgery where you slice the knee open, slice the hip open, slice the shoulder open to what we call the minimally invasive, because you just make these, you know, you guys have seen in the portals, three small incisions in a shoulder, two small incisions as wide as my fingertip and a knee. Um, and we can do the entire surgery through there. Um, oftentimes in the knee, if you're doing an ACL, you got to go a little bit bigger, but generally meniscus, 99% of what we're doing is done through those two small incisions and we, and we call it minimally invasive. And it's the same thing with the hip. And if, if you're doing an ankle scope, which is rare. Um, so that's why we say minimally invasive patients like it. So there's some degree of marketing to it, but it what's also does. What's the heal time in a minimally invasive surgery. So it's, it's obviously quicker because you're not waiting for the skin to heal together. You don't have skin healing issues. Um, it depends on what we do, right? Because we're not, um, limited by the skin. So if you do a menis, uh, a meniscus, uh, tear and you do a meniscectomy and you remove the torn piece, you get them moving right away with no restrictions. They can move their knee as much as they want. They can walk on it. Obviously they take it easy and don't exercise, but recovery is very, very quick. And I tell people within about a month, you're going to be feeling pretty good. I take a week off from work. That's it. And then you can go back to work after that. If you feel like it, um, for the shoulder it's the same thing. If you just do a decompression, we're not doing a repair. We don't have to protect anything and let it heal before they start moving. So no restrictions. If they feel like moving like crazy first day, go for it. Um, rotator cuff repair, ACL, meniscus repairs, things when you are depending upon tissue to heal in order for them to have a good outcome, you lock them down anywhere from two to six weeks in a sling, two to, week, two to six weeks in a brace with no weight bearing on a knee if you're doing a repair. Um, and then you start weight bearing after six weeks. So basically, if there's a repair, 
Don't start moving right away. Let it heal first and then start moving. No repair. You can start moving right away. And that works for hip, knee, shoulder just as well. Uh, Dr. Homa and uh, just wrote in with a question. I appreciate that. And anybody else who has a question, uh, Dr. Wen, Dr. Mangold, come on. I need questions here. Um, uh, more questions about PRP. And I think that they like the, the PRP for the same reasons I do, for the same reasons you just explained that that it, it, I mean, I'm using miraculous because it appears to be a miracle that you could take uh, something that's so uh, natural and so risk minimal uh, and, and have it actually heal at, at the percentage rates that you just talked about. Um, uh, Dr. Homa, does PRP work for sciatica pain or disc herniation on lumbar spine? And I know the spine's a little outside your wheelhouse, but uh, actually- No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to, to comment on this. The answer is yes. So. PRP works essentially the same way as cortisone, not through the same pathways and not through the same mechanism, but it's an anti-inflammatory. Cortisone is an anti-inflammatory, as simple as that. So pain management guys are starting to do PRP more frequently. Anytime you're doing an epidural, they get a little more you know, cautious because you have to be real careful with anything new. However, a lot of people are doing epidurals with PRP. We're seeing it more and more in our office. Um, Dr. Yoon will do it. And I think Dr. Trin is, he's coming on board slowly. So we definitely have people that do that. And most of the time, if they're doing other things like facet blocks. So for example, I think there was a question before, can PRP help um, for degenerative spine conditions? The answer is yes, especially if there's a facet issue. It helps that just as well as the cortisone and zero side effects. So diabetics can have it. Um, there is, of course, a theoretical risk of infection because you're removing the blood from the body, processing it and injecting it. That risk is extraordinarily low. Um, the reason why it's low is because PRP does have a natural antibiotic effect to it. For some reason, bacteria don't survive well in it, but that is a risk too. So if you're going to put that into the spine, you have to be a little bit more cautious. But the short answer is yes, it works great for sciatica or epidurals. Um Another question just came in from Dr. Rotuna, and I don't know if I'm going to get into the, it's a specific case dealing with uh, full thickness tear, uh, essentially how do, how do you, I guess maybe more broadly, how do you uh, sort of parse out um, causation in a PI case? What's from an accident? What's from diabetes? What's from degeneration, uh, past wear and tear, uh, sports injury from high school? I mean, how, how do you sort of live in that space in, in the PI world? So that's, that's you know, 90% of the depots that we have is, hey, listen, this guy's 50 years old, 60 years old. His, arthritis, his MRI, they use the word arthritis. How could you say that this tear is from that? And the short answer is, unless there happens to be miraculously an MRI from right before the accident showing there's no tear and one from right after the accident showing there is a tear, we cannot say with any certainty that this caused that tear. What we can say with certainty, and you know, this is where um, Alex can help us a little bit, but you know, we, we're saying to a reasonable medical probability, 51% more likely than not, not 100%. That's not the level of evidence that we need in these cases. But you know, again, let me know if I'm, if I'm stepping no, in. You're totally right. Um, I can say that it is much more likely than not that this gentleman's or lady's need to seek treatment was caused by the accident, right? If I stand up here in front of you and I tell you 100%, this, this rotator cuff or meniscus was torn by the accident, I have no idea. It, maybe it was, this guy could have been living it for 20 years, but it was quiet. It was under the radar. It wasn't bothering him. All of a sudden it became symptomatic and his need to seek treatment was directly caused by the accident. 
And that's, you know, that's really all we need. But the defense is going to say, you know, how could you say that? Of course, it was pre-existing, and you know, that's where the you know. The water, and you're 100 right. From the legal perspective, it all comes down to well, when did it become symptomatic? Yeah, and this person may have had degeneration. Yeah, this person may have had a pre-existing tear. I guess it's possible, but there were no complaints of pain. They weren't seeing any the doctors or getting any therapy prior to the accident. Then all of a sudden, something happened. Happened to be a car accident, and now they started getting treatment. And now they got surgery, and they got therapy, and they got this, and they got that. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to draw a straight line between the car accident and the need for treatment. Now, what you know, the the underlying tear or whatever. Well, we may never know, but we don't need to know. That's not the that's not what we're trying to prove. Exactly. So, where does it you know become a little more difficult if there's already arthritis? You get an X-ray, you see severe joint degeneration. You're like, this guy's had this for 20 years. Right. Um, and there's let's say a, even you see a meniscus tear even in the face of arthritis. You know that becomes a little bit more gray. Um, but people will live with arthritis and I'm sure you, you Cairo, Cairo doctors will see these guys 20 years walking around on severe arthritis with no pain. And then all of a sudden they fall down once, or they get hit by something and the pain all starts. So, you know, it's, it's not hard to defend causation is there. Um, you know, it's certainly a challenge and you need the lawyer and the doctor, you know, and the chiropractor all be on the same page when it comes to understanding that maybe the tear wasn't caused by the accident, just the need to seek treatment. Dr. Berkowitz, we try to keep this to a tight 30 minutes. We are at 29 minutes. And I want to thank you for being with us. I want to thank you for taking a half an hour in between surgeries. And I know that you just came from one uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, to be with us and to answer some of these questions. Um, give us a little plug. What outfit are you with? How can docs get a hold of you if they want to? So down in um, Downey, Newport, Riverside, and expanding to Anaheim shortly um, with Pacific Spine and Orthopedics. Um, and then I'm up in, uh, in Glendale as well with Haas Spine Orthopedics with my partner, Dr. Kasimian. You guys might know him. Um, I'm up there with Glendale. So basically, most areas of LA, we have an office or are opening one. So we try to, without diluting ourselves too much, be everywhere. And just one final point, if I can, um, you know, it's, I've given Dr. Rubin multiple PRP injections. I've given Dr. Trin multiple PRP injections. I've given Dr. Yoon an, el you know, an elbow injection. So, you know, we, we, we walk the walk. We don't just talk the talk when it comes to this stuff. And you can uh, ask uh, the guys, works great. You walk the walk, but maybe not doctor-patient confidentiality. Um, <laughs> uh, Doc, thank you so much. Uh, to the doctors on the call, thank you for being here uh, live. If you missed some or all of it, or if you know a doctor that uh, you think might be able to benefit from this, this will all be up live on the Sean Steele Law Firm podcast, which is available on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are. It'll also be available uh, on YouTube uh, so they can watch the lovely uh, uh, Jonathan Berkowitz and I uh, face off here. Uh, docs, you know how to get a hold of me, Alexander Eisner at SeanSteele.com. Uh, if you think I did a great job, let Sean know, Sean Steele at SeanSteele.com. If you think it sucked, Sean with an S-E-A-N, let him know that too. Uh, I appreciate everybody's time today. Thank you so much, Doc, for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys.